Um, I've been researching this because I, I power lift and, and of course mm-hmm. I, it's something that I enjoy a lot of and I want to do it well for as long as possible. And one of the things that, that I've actually learned about is that sort of the decline in testosterone that, that you know, we see as men, you know, past certain age, 30, 40 or 50. Yeah. It's actually mostly uh, activity related. So it's not that you go over 30 and then your hormones decline. It's that you go over 30 and then you like start drinking more, eating more, exercising less. Yeah. But if you keep the stimuli sort of active and especially with lifting weights, yeah. you can keep like a, I mean, you see it in, in, in bodybuilding and even natural bodybuilders and power lifters, mm-hmm. they usually end up peaking like 40s or mid 40s even. So quite late and it's because they've just been doing it for longer. Yeah. Uh, but you see people still like growing, getting huge and really strong at, you know, over 40. Yeah, think, things are different now because people know that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think maybe there's more free time for the average person these mm-hmm. days, too, you know, so you have time to kind of think about that. But um, more awareness, also, I guess. Yeah, more awareness because really it doesn't take that long. You know, um, you could work out, you know, I mean, you work out hard, a half hour can get, yeah. you can get a lot done. And 30, then, 45 minutes, if you go hard, yeah, that's, I mean, the, you, you can't even do much more than that. It's true. <laughs> you, it's you burn true. If you're, really, if you're really working out hard, you, half hour can do yeah. just fine, you mm-hmm. know. So um, that's kind of like that for, um, you know, I talk to people that play the practice base too, mm-hmm. you know, switching to, to that mode. People will talk about, well, oh, man, I'm playing like, I only have time to practice two hours a day. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's enough. You yeah. know, if you're practicing, it's the quality, not quantity in most cases, you know, with, sure. with working out, you know, it's the intensity, not the, the length a lot of the time, unless you're an endurance athlete. Of yeah, course. That, that's, you know, if you're doing a marathon, there's no way to do that in a half yeah. hour. You have, <laughs> you have to do the longer stuff, but for, but for strength training, you can get a ton done in a hurry. And um, I think for something mental, you know, like playing bass or, you know, learning a language or something like that. You can get a lot done in a half hour too. Mm-hmm. Um, base, I, I like to have it be at least an hour when I practice, you know, like, and have it be a quality hour, not just, you know, sitting around watching TV and playing is okay too. It's a muscle memory thing, but that's not really practicing. Mm-hmm. The hard practicing is where you're learning something new, trying to commit it to memory, learning a new song, learning, you know, working through new scales or chords or something like that. Actually, yeah, that I think that's an interesting subject, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening will be very interested in that. So, how do you structure your practice? Do you have like a given plan? Did you prepare the day before, maybe, or what? what what's a practice routine like for you? You know, what it has ended up being lately is just learning the new material I have to work on, um, and so I'll structure it that, that way. Like, um, okay, if I have a new song first just start out just getting ready, just getting warmed up, of course, for a few minutes and, and noodling around a little, mm-hmm. just having fun playing the easy stuff that's really just second nature to me. But then once you have to start learning the song, that's the hard part. And I'll take it little by little and just learn a section. If I have something really hard that I can't quite play yet, um, maybe it's like a 16-note phrase. And it's like, oh, my God, I can't do all 16 of those right now. It's, like, too hard, and it's this weird timing or something. Um, do four. I'll loop those four notes, mm. play them half speed. Do, 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 do. One, two, three, or whatever. That was five notes. But, <laughs> but, yeah. but, yeah, whatever. I'll just loop that little thing again and again. Okay, now I got it. All right, on to the next four notes. Mm. I'll learn those. I'll learn it maybe, you know, four notes, four notes, four notes, something like that. Then start tying them together. Okay, let's do all eight of them now. And then eventually, once you've done everything slow, you know, compartmentalized it that way and learned every little section, you can tie them all together. Um, And that even works if it's not something that hard to play, but just something hard to memorize. Just learn it little by little. People hear a song that has maybe 30 parts in it and they think, oh my God, how could you remember that? It's like, well, you play your band's set, right? And your band's set, Probably, even if you have simple songs that only have three or four parts, but if you're playing 10 of those songs, then you've done the same thing just over a longer period of time. So you can remember that much. That's a, you know, you, you so can. It's a really interesting way to like look at it, actually. And, and yeah, very interesting. So it's, um, mm-hmm. I, I apply to different things, but I also believe in sort of deconstructing, and, and you might have a really complex 
problem to solve. Initially, the way you tackle something big is, you know, start by little chunks at a time and just focus on. Yep. And I think this could be with anything that requires like like long-term thinking and patience and perseverance is yeah. focus on the next day or focus on the next two hours. Like if you start thinking, oh man, it might be a year until this happens. Like you, you can get yeah. discouraged very easily. So like divide things in little chunks and focus on that little chunk first. And then what's that good? Like you're okay with that? Move on to the next one. That's yeah. very, very interesting. Last time we met, which might have been a couple of years ago, uh, we're talking about jujitsu. I remember that you, yeah, yeah. you told me that you, you got up to Blue Belt, right? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I mean, my training was fragmented because I was on tour so much and there was really no opportunity to practice on tour. No one else in the band was doing that. So, mm. um, but that, that was fun. Yeah, I did that between um, 1999 and 2004. I was really like excited wow. about that. And I mean, I still think it's a great sport. I just haven't gotten back into it. I've kind of focused on other things, lower impact stuff, you know, sure. just, just running and riding my bike, things like that. But, um, but yeah, that's a fun sport. And that's something too, where you learn a little by little, in my opinion, you know, like you learn a move get that one move down and you can start tying them together and you see the guys that are really good at jujitsu, they're tying it together mm -hmm. without thinking about it anymore. Yeah. Like a good improviser, mm -hmm. you know, we, um, me and a friend of mine, um, that he's a drummer, but he also did jujitsu. My mm -hmm. friend Royce, he, um, he and I talked about that, how these guys that are really good at jujitsu probably could have been really good at, um, playing music too. Sure. You yeah. Know, like, and actually that, that, that's, when, when you told me that the way you you tackle like learning a, a complex part or a complex song, it reminded me a lot of, of, of how you do jiu-jitsu because yeah. it's like you don't learn the move on the first try. You should learn first positioning, setup, and, and you drill that to death until like, yeah. and then you move on to like the next. And that's how you tie things together. It was very, for me, the interesting thing is how these like learning patterns and, and techniques are quite transferable and, and universal. Like if you learn how mm -hmm. to get good at one thing, you probably have, even if you're not fully aware of, of how you did it, instinctively you probably can sort of take a similar approach and, and pick pick on things or pick things up like faster and, and, and easier. Yeah, yeah. Like I think same thing. Learning a language or something, you're going to learn little bits first before you're having a conversation. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, improvising music really well, it's eventually should be easy like a conversation, and it is for the guys who are really good at mm -hmm. it. Um, you know, yeah, improvising. You know, moves in jujitsu, doing a good job with that. Same thing. It's probably just how the brain works, you know, and you end up seeing something very complex on the outside. Like when you see um, someone performing something that's very complex and requires a whole lot of different moves, it can be overwhelming if you don't know anything about that art. But not to take away from how much work it is to learn that, but still, I think the, the brain's probably meant to learn things that way in small chunks and then you put it all together and it's like whoa yeah you know and it's still hard but it's not quite as hard as you would think to the person who's doing it the person who's doing it it's if they're if you're able to play something really complex it's no longer complex to you mm -hmm. you know what i mean sure. it's just just another normal thing that you're doing you just yeah, put in the that's, time that, that sort of perceived complexity the, yeah that, that's a very interesting it's an interesting thing because probably one of the most complex things that humans will ever, most humans will ever, like, can master is a language. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about hundreds or, or thousands of words uh, with very specific syntax and 99.99% and of people can speak well enough that you can get your ideas across. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we just learn instinctively. Mm -hmm. And then after learning a language, it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, is music more complicated? Of course, you have the whole motor skills and everything, but, but mentally, at least, it's it's not as complicated as as a language, or, or or not more complicated than a language. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. Now that you mention it, it's a good way to think about it. Like maybe the fact that humans have a built-in instinct to learn languages mm -hmm. would mean that these other things are going to come naturally to us too. That yeah. seem complicated, you know, mm -hmm. and especially if someone learns when they're young. Yeah. Like I wish that I had. Um, really started learning music from when I was three years old or yeah. something like that. And you can see some of the, the really just unbelievable virtuosos are the, you find out their history and they started learning when they were three. And it's the same thing when you learn, when you meet a person who's bilingual mm -hmm. and has zero accent in either language, it's usually because they learned from, uh, from childhood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so yeah, well, 
like for example, Victor Wooden, I think that, I think there's pictures of, of him with the bass at age five or six. Mm. And it's like, yeah, no wonder he's like, yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. complete fluency. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that that's very interesting. So, um, yeah, tell us a bit more. Of, of course, you're you're now touring with with Carnival Carbs and doing this this European uh, European leg. How, how's everything going there? It's been great so far. You know, it's um. What we're doing this summer is trying to do a lot of festivals and then we're trying to find shows that we can play that don't interfere with those festivals during the during the week, you know, because it would be pretty expensive to come over here and just play the weekends. Yeah, just just play the weekends or fly home between Mm -hmm. festivals, things like that. We're not going to do that. So we had our booking agency um, look around for opportunities in areas that we weren't doing festivals like we're not doing a festival in Finland so they were able to arrange these four shows up here for us and um, same thing for Poland we're not doing any festivals there so we're going to be doing five shows in Poland coming right up after this we're playing the Baltics well not Lithuania but Latvia and Estonia we're going to get to so um, actually Estonia is tomorrow so I was just heard last week actually in yeah, for a week, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I always look forward to playing down there. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a really good tour. And then mixed in with these club dates are the big festivals. And it's kind of nice because when you fly in to do a festival, maybe you haven't played a show in a while. If that's if you're just flying in for the one show and then flying home, it might be the first show you've done in a month or something. And that's not yeah. that's not a fun situation for a band. <laughs> I, I don't think any band out there likes to pop in and play in front of, you know, 50,000 people without having had some club dates before. Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're a well-oiled machine at this point. So when we play walking, um, on August 3rd, you know, it'll be, smooth. we're already in the routine. Yeah, yeah. It'll be very smooth. And that's a good one to have go smoothly for you. Cause there's that's sometimes a hundred thousand people at that. Yeah. Insane, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Actually. Yeah. Like, um, this is something that, that, uh, Every time I meet someone who, who's achieved success at something, it is very interesting because when you play, you know, Vakken in 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 a couple of weeks or so, um, it's not your first festival. I mean, you, you've been doing this for a long time. Mm. But um, is there a part of you that that when you go on stage and you see, you know, fifty, hundred thousand people, say like, what the fuck? Like, is is yeah. it? Uh, although it, it's like there's things that are never get old in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. You can't. Re- I, at least me, I'm never going to get used to having a hundred thousand people <laughs> yeah. watching us play. And even, I mean, not all one hundred thousand are watching, but surely tens of thousands at any given time are watching any mm. any of the bands on the main stage. Um, yeah, you never get used to that. You know, <laughs> I'm used to playing clubs. It fits like a glove. It's just mm. nat- completely natural to play in clubs. It's really fun. The festivals are fun too, but it's um, it's different. You know, we're Maybe the really big bands like Metallica or something, for them, playing in front of tens of thousands of people a night is probably pretty normal at this point. But for us, it's still, um, it's an event, for sure. Yeah, it's, um, did you imagine that when, you know, when you first, when you bought your first bass, you're going to think, man, in, in 20, no 30 years, I'll be playing no in front way. of 50,000 people? No, no, <laughs> I don't think anybody could. Really. You hope. Yeah, that that's going right. to happen, but you can't imagine it. It's, it's it, uh, incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Have, I mean, we're we're sort of in the music industry, both like both of us, but but we're doing very different things. And, and you know, when people ask me, um, did you ever imagine that that you'd be where you are now? In a way, it's like the answer is always yes, because oh, of course, like that's why I started doing these things. So that's why I worked so hard. Uh, mm-hmm. In your case, that's why you practice so much and got so good at it. It's because. Of course, you dream of you know playing in front yeah, of tens of thousands yeah. of people. Uh, so it's this weird mix. Like, yeah, sure, I, I always thought about it continuously, but at the same time, at least for me, it's like still hard to believe that it fucking worked. Yeah, <laughs> sure it worked did. out. Yeah. <laughs> so wow, like it's like the the and I mean it, it's same for you. Like like yeah. out of all the you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who pick up an instrument, how many can say that? Yeah, I I, I get to play in front of ten thousands of people. You know. On a yearly basis, it's it's minuscule, like a very minuscule percentage. It's such a um, you know a lucky thing. You know, you can talent and and hard work and everything. Of course, is part of it, but luck is such a crucial component to, timing, to yeah. success. You know, timing and everything. And we've we've had our timing right in a few key instances. You know, um, 
to where, yeah, you just don't know how things would have turned out if some of these opportunities hadn't cropped up. It might just never have happened. And I, I know a bunch of musicians that are really talented that never quite made it to where we did. Or And then some other musicians obviously have gone way beyond what we've done, too. So it's, it's just so hard to say. There's no predicting it. Yeah. People ask the question a lot of me, like, oh, what should I do to be successful? And yeah. it's, it's hard to answer because who knows? But I tell them... One thing for sure is just have fun and and try to be easy to work with. Mm. You know, like try to make yourself easy to work with and you'll always be in demand as a musician anyway. And and probably as a band in general too, like the bands that bigger bands like to tour with are the ones that are easy to work with. Sure. You know, they get their stuff on and off stage in a hurry, you know, whatever. So, but most importantly, yeah, just have fun and do it for the music. And then it, hopefully things fall into place. Just don't count on it because who knows? I... I I never would have counted on it happening. Yeah. You just have to do the best you can and then hopefully things line up for you. Yeah, that, 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 that's very interesting because I, I think for, for people that are sort of maybe aspiring to be where you are, they it's very easy to think that there is something that you figured out, like you've cracked the code or figured out the yeah. formula and it's you're keeping it like, but yeah, there's a lot of timing of a lot of hard work. And, and I guess like, like if you had to do it all over again, it's not like you'd have this like checklist of your first I do this, it's, you'd probably instinctively do the similar things but but even then there would be no guarantee that things would turn out exactly the same way if you had to exactly from, from scratch yeah yeah i wouldn't yeah that's another common interview question um people say if you could change something would you and it's like well of course we've made mistakes mm -hmm. you know and everybody makes mistakes in their life but if you change something would it be would it lead lead you down some different path and then mm -hmm. things don't turn out as well so we're quite happy with how things have turned out so we wouldn't change a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense because, you know, you might have changed a little thing and, and yep. who knows? Yeah, who knows what would happen. Uh, it's yeah, so. to predict. Actually, that, that's a... What would you say to, you know, the the, the next Alex Vassar, right? Like the, like the, the, the next sort of um, archetypical, you know, successful metal bass player that right now might be listening, maybe he's, you know, starting out 15, 20 years old, if there would be like one piece of advice that you would have liked to have when you started without trying to change anything, but what, what um, would it be? Well, beyond the stuff I already said, yeah. like make yourself easy to work mm -hmm. with and so forth, um, you know, practice hard. I would also say, um, you know, don't be hard on yourself too. Don't be, you know, like um, practice hard, but don't overdo it. Um, just on a technical point of things, maybe you don't probably don't need to play quite as hard as you think for a metal bass player. You can actually um, even like hard, like physically, yeah, like actually hard. physically hard. I think a lot of guys, and I, I'm guilty of this too. Just you know, and especially in my earlier days, you're like just really digging yeah, into the point so. where it's actually a point of you're almost choking the note sometimes, mm -hmm. and then it you can play faster if you're a little bit lighter and still get a good strong attack. Sure, you know, so um. But yeah, don't be don't be too hard on yourself either. You know, like um, people, yeah, really want to go. You know, like full on whiplash, like that movie. And yeah. I feel like that's a that's a recipe for for like beating yourself up sure. and, and and feeling like a failure. You know, like I, I think that you should work hard and everything. But you know, I mean, have fun. Yeah, ha sure. having fun is crucial to making good music. You know, it should be something you really enjoy. And um, I mean, if you enjoy the hard work of practicing hard, by, then by all means. But, you know, don't beat yourself up if you, you know, aren't moving, progressing as fast or have a mistake in a performance or something like that. You know, just have fun up there. That, that, that's actually really good advice. I think, yeah, especially a lot of people who who get good at things are already pretty hard working. And a big part mm -hmm. of that, ironically, is that you are pretty hard on yourself. Like the yeah. people who are the most self-critical are probably the people who shouldn't really be that self-critical because chances are they're already working pretty hard and, yeah. and, and doing as much as they can to improve. Um, that's a, that's really actually deep advice. Um, do, you, do you ever take lessons? I did, yeah. Um, first guy I took lessons from was a um, friend a couple years older than me um, named Mike Hudson. And he was the jazz bass player in the school's band mm -hmm. that I went to my high school. And um, yeah, he gave me lessons and really got me started well. So I always tip my hat to him. And then oh, I had a few other teachers, um, you know, some, some good guys in the Buffalo area. Like 
I never took lessons for a very long period of time. It was always like for a few months. And then, you know, I would stop taking lessons and just do your thing. Yeah. Just be self-taught, you know, like Mm -hmm. I like to get magazines and read the bass lessons that, you know, magazines had in them. Um, Bass player for sure. But even before that, there was guitar for the practicing musician had a, a, Mm. I think it was them. They had, they would have bass lines in there sometimes and I would try to learn those. Um, Yeah. I think lessons are good. You know, have, there's nothing quite like having someone to ask. You can figure out so much by yourself, but having someone to ask is really helpful. Even in this day and age when there's so much stuff available on oh, YouTube, yeah. you know. I mean, I think that nowadays it's, it's, it's as good as it's ever been. And, and, yeah. and you see it now, like now you see, you know, kids who are 10, 12 years old and are like, mm-hmm. if you would have been 30 to 20 years ago, mm-hmm. you would have been, you know, Mway or, or like these yeah. mega rock stars and known for their technical prowess. And now it's, it's the, it's a cliche now. It's like, like the 15 year old, you know, Keep playing his bedroom or head bedroom. That's a monster. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, about learning things so quickly when you're young. Mm. The information's available now. Like a, um, some, I actually took guitar lessons when I was six for just a few months. All right. And I, lo- I lost interest. Yeah, acoustic guitar. And I was too young. I lost interest. And what they were trying to teach me, the only teacher we could find was teaching me folk songs. And I really, even then, I wasn't interested in playing that kind of music. You know, I wanted to play rock at that age. You know, I wanted to play some kind of rock music. And they weren't teaching that. So I wasn't motivated and I quit. And I didn't pick up bass again until I was some 14, I think. Or like I didn't try playing an instrument again. And then it was bass guitar when I was 14. So um, why the change, if you don't mind me asking, like from guitar to, because I think you, you always grew up going to be the guitarist, right? Like Eddie Van Halen and yeah. Van well, you know, I think I've always had modest goals. And, I, and again, talking about seeing something and seeing it as being so complicated. If you're looking at Van Halen, you're looking at ACDC. These are bands that, yeah. you know, Iconic we all guitars. listen to, you know. I, I remember thinking, well, I want to play in a band. And, um, but what Eddie Van Halen's doing, when am I ever going to be able to do that? Probably never, you know. And then I looked at what, you know, yeah, what the bass player's doing. It's still really cool. I loved how it sounded, but it also seemed like something I could actually do. Mm-hmm. And so at first it just seemed like, you know, this is something I could do. You know, it, it seemed almost impossible to do what lead guitar players were doing to someone who couldn't play at all. Yeah, really. yeah. You know, so. And then my friend, you know, I had a friend who played bass and was willing to give me lessons for you know, I think it was like $5 an hour or something <laughs> like that. This is 1984 we're talking. Wow. So that was... Well, about five bucks back then was... It was money. Yeah. Still pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that was just a little bit above minimum wage or whatever <laughs> at the time. But yeah, so... Yeah, like I loved how the bass sounded anyway. Mm-hmm. and um, But it just seemed like something that I could actually do. And I wanted to play with people. And I didn't want to have to wait until I could play like, you know, like, yeah, somebody that good. It just seemed impossible. I mean, um, and I, yeah, I loved how the bass sounded anyway. So it really was perfect. Like by the time I was 14, for some reason, yeah, I just really gravitated towards the bass. And, um, yeah, so I I started taking the lessons and I loved it. And then right. I remember the, I think it's, Maybe the first year that I started playing bass, I also got to see um, Yes live. Oh, so I got to see Chris Squire. Chris Squire yeah. And then I got to see Getty Lee. I, 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 when I look back at it, I got to see all these amazing bass players the first couple years that I played bass. And I, it had to have left some kind of an impact because sure. I, yeah, I, saw, I saw Yes, I saw Rush. All these, all these concerts came through Buffalo. Um, which is actually ironic that, that sort of you were looking at Eddie and, and thought, oh, I'm going to do that. And then Yeti yeah, Lee is, is just as impressive. Yeah, if yeah. not, I mean, like what Yeti Lee does, it's something that, I mean, it's mind-blowing. And, and again, I was like, well, that's beyond me too, because <laughs> it was my first year of playing. You know, I thought, oh, well, that's, I'll probably never be able to do that either, but whatever. I really <laughs> did love it. And then the following year... Iron Maiden played, and at, on that particular night, their guest in Buffalo was Talis. So Billy. I got to see Billy Sheehan and Steve Harris the same night, again, within a year or so of having started playing bass. So you got to see like, like four of the greatest bass yeah, players of yeah. all time I in rock history. What a, what a great opportunity, you know, and, and um, yeah, I'll never forget seeing Steve Harris and 
Billy Sheehan on one night, you know, and they, Billy did take a solo, yeah, even though it was an opening gig, you know, and I was like, well, that is unbelievable. Yeah, you know, I've never, same. that's, even to this day, there's, I can't, I, I can't think of a rock bass player who can play that way, you know. I, yeah, I think bass players who can shred that hard, I, I probably know, like, especially metal, like, a couple, like, in, in jazz, you have, you know, Hundred mm -hmm. for out and these guys who can also play like anything. Yes, uh, but it's a different style and it's a completely yeah. different vibe in, and being jazz. Uh, but yeah, I think in rock there's really like like there's a Japanese friend of mine, Ayumu, who's a great. He's mm -hmm. one of our artists. He plays with a pick though, but he's also like insanely fast. But yeah, like I mean, Billy was doing that like what in the seventies, in the eighties, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it, Billy was uh, for me growing up. Billy was definitely one of my yeah. heroes. Yeah. Steve Harris and, and and Billy Sheehan were probably. Yeah, yeah, same for me. So, like I said, seeing them at, in early in my career, you know, it kind of maybe it kind of put something in the back of my head, like, yeah, maybe someday yeah. I'll play some some stuff like that. You were more ambitious when you saw them. Yeah, I'm like, oh, well, yeah. I'm like, I'll start out with the more meat and potatoes stuff, but if I can get there, I'd, I'd like to. And here you, you are. Know? That, that's incredible because I think, like, now you are the guy for 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 many. Bass players now. I mean, not so young anymore. I mean, bass players like my age, you know, 30 years old, like we grew up, you know, watching you guys, like mm -hmm. watching you do your thing. So, uh, how does it feel to, to now know that, like, you, you hold a similar place for, you know, it's thousands and thousands of bass players? Out it's, there? it's cool and it's, it's, um, you know, it, it, um, it's, it's flattering in a way that it's hard to describe because I understand how I felt about, you know, Cliff Burton, Steve Harris, Billy Sheehan. Um, you know, all these people that I really enjoyed their playing and had such an impact on how I play. Um, Steve DiGiorgio. Again, oh, you know, Steve. Steve's my friend, but he's also a really big influence, you know. Um, Steve is a monster, too. Yeah. So there's a, there's a bunch of guys where I look up to them, you know, so much as, as players. And if someone looks up to me that way, then it's, um, it's very flattering. And I'm hum very, humbled yeah. by the, the and, support. Uh, and, and I mean, I don't want to... Uh, well, smoke up your ass, but but I, it it, I don't know many people who are worthy of worthier than you of, of, of being in in such, in such position because you, you've always been the nicest guy in the room and, and very humble. So it did it says a lot about you also that having so much sort of recognition that you've still you know kept yourself really sort of grounded and and, and so humble that and I guess that that goes back to what you said like always stay nice and, and easy to work with and and yeah I. Yeah, thank you. And you know, I've always I've always tried. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean to I remember, you know, how it was in the beginning and everything and I, I won't forget that, you know, like um and I also know just as a player too, you know, people have said a lot of kind things about how I play, but I know there's plenty of stuff I can still work on. So That's um amazing. you know, you never stop improving, you never stop looking to to improve yourself. So Someone you know, says they love how I play. I say thank you, and um, it's still a work in progress. You know, that's I mean, I think for me that's probably one of the most inspiring things of, of, of knowing you is is how good you are, how much you've accomplished. Yet you're still, you're still like it's really present to you that there's still like a lot to learn, and you still keep like practicing and trying to pick up new tricks and yeah. always improving like constantly. That's a great thing with music, is there? It's um, there's no limit. You know, there's so many things you can learn, so many different things. That you can different directions you you can go with what you're working on too you can you know get into improvising or something learn more about chords um you can learn more about arranging things um working with odd meters whatever it is learn and then even on another token you can learn more about you know using using gear using mm. doing recording things like things like that there's so much to learn to make you a better, more well-rounded musician. You know? uh, actually, yeah, that, that, that's very interesting, and I'm glad that you brought that up because I think it, it's a fairly new thing, especially, I think, for bass guitar. Guitarists have been using pedals and multi-effects and, and software for a long time, but I think for us bass players, it's kind of a new thing. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm 30 right now, and I started playing you know, 15 years ago, like 16 years ago, and yeah, remember back in the day, the, the status quo was you, you didn't need a pedal. Yeah, you just go straight to the amp. Like that's what a bass yep. player does. And then maybe five years later, you know, when I was twenty, now maybe you need a, comp a compressor. Yeah, and that was it. I think there's I've seen this shift happen in the last decade, 
where now bass players are as experimental as guitarists when it comes to sound. And I think there's there's a craft to that that yeah. goes in parallel with your like musical, like ex executing musical music. Uh, it's uh, it's very interesting. There, are, like for example, Chris Squire, like he's mm. legend, like one of the greats. Um, without being like the fastest guy, but it's just he was. A, I call him Sonic Architects. He he was able to craft his tone in a way that it was just it left. Uh, he left his his mark in music history just by the way. Of course, he played really well also, but his sound was so different. And then Billy also. Well, Billy had both, right? He was like very yeah. technically skilled. But you hear two notes and you know that's Billy Sheehan, even if he's not playing super fast. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, yeah, with Billy's tone, you can really hear it. And um, I remember looking at, you know, in some of the old magazines, he would deconstruct his rig for the magazine. All the and <laughs> Man, he, he put a lot of thought into it, Yeah. you know. So um, it's nice that now um, <laughs> there's a little bit of the thought's been done for us, you know, by guys like you, <laughs> for example. Yeah, we, we can um, get a pedal that might have required a whole lot of crazy bi-amping sure. and stuff like that mm -hmm. to put yeah. together back in the old days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's very interesting, too, because, I mean, the way you sound changes the way you play. That's, for me, it's undeniable. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's, there's kind of like this connection between like the way you play affects the way you sound but then the, mm -hmm. the feedback loop the way you sound might also make you adjust things and yeah. I find that very fascinating like sometimes you can have everything the same you just maybe change settings on a pedal like change the EQ or something yep. and all of a sudden your your like uh, your attack is different maybe the type of notes you play is different the melodies you play are yep. different um, that's that for me is very interesting I'm, I'm still like trying to discover and try to like uncover you know insight on, on how that works and yeah, yeah, I think I think you're right. Like I play differently immediately if it's from clean to uh, dirty tone. Mm -hmm. There's probably something subconscious that you, where you feel like you have to dig in a little more the dirtier the tone is. Sure, and yeah. so that's why I don't go that dirty. Mm -hmm. You know, I have my B7K dialed in in a way where it works for my right hand. You know, mm -hmm. I, I everybody's going to do that. You're going to dial it in the way that works best for oh, you. Sure. Um, if I were playing with a pick it would probably be a bit more distortion because a pick slices and, and cuts each note in a way that fingers being a little bit softer of a surface are not going to do. So you can get away with more gain and still have the each note be really clear and yeah, yeah, with, a, with a pick. Um, so yeah, you're going to adjust. Actually, that, that, yeah. that, that question came up a lot. Do, do you ever play with pick? I don't, no. Don't, okay. no I, um, I mean, if I'm messing around with you know, electric guitar, of course, I'm not sitting there trying to do this <laughs> stuff on a, on a seven string guitar, but, um, yeah, for bass, just fingers. Okay. Um, and I, before Cannibal Corpse, I had messed around with the pick a little bit, mm -hmm. but I didn't like it really. It wasn't, wasn't my thing. You know, yes. I've always felt like a good connection with the instrument just by playing with fingers. Now I l think a lot of pick bass players are great and some of my favorite bass players play with picks sure yeah like um dd verney is one of my favorites from overkill mm. i think oh, yeah wow sound is amazing and he's just a killer player so Overkill's that's somebody amazing, um who plays that, with that, a pick that bass and, was loud too man like yeah for, for for being thrash metal like yeah. you never <laughs> i love it i'm like yeah yeah uh, i was like like did the bass very mix this shit yeah, like yeah. i got it guys i'll mix get it in that control room and take over <laughs> yeah man. we've been quiet long yeah, enough yeah, that, yeah that's true yeah they have this song called uh date they're young perhaps yeah it, I it don't, has like a super mean I, I i heard that when my first bass teacher uh rodrigo garcia mm. uh he was all into metallica and and and, and and overkill and, and I was more into like the progressive stuff, Symphony X and, and Dream Theater. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, that's all good, but you have to start with the with the basics. So Metallica, you know, like like things from, from 80s and 90s. And yeah, he, he he was the guy who introduced me to Overkill and, and Yeah. Yeah. Because okay. I, I don't think that debate is going on so much anymore, but you know, twenty years ago it was there was this like fingers versus peak debate. It was almost this like dogma, dogmatic war that like, oh, yeah. if you play with pick, you're not a real bass player. Uh, gladly, I think that's kind of gone now with Meshu and Periphery, kind of like, yeah. like people accepted that you can be, it, you're not less of a bass player for using a pick. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, so many, there's so many great players who are doing things with a pick 
it's hard what they're doing. It's just, not easy. I mean, just because they're not playing with fingers also doesn't mean that they probably can't. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of pick bass players. So like I know for sure Dick from Meshuggah yeah. is also a good finger player. I've sure, yeah. you know, read articles and stuff and he he's a jazz trained guy in many yeah, ways, right? So he's playing with the pick because that's appropriate for Meshuggah, I would assume. You I know? mean he can do with a pick it's, it's and he's I a mean, killer pick actually, player. We yeah. saw them uh they came here two two, three weeks ago, they played mm-hmm. Tosca. Tosca oh, killer. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that was the first time I saw them live. Like I, I saw them rehearse a couple of years ago, which is cool in a really surreal way. Like they're just standing in front of you playing these songs, mm. but to see them live, like when they played Bleed, it was like, I, unreal. And, yeah, and it's ripping, man. The precision and, and and the stamina also. Yeah, yeah. We've we've had the good luck of having uh, done a few shows with them, just mm. festivals and stuff over the years, and I always check them out. Yeah. Um, Gojira's bass player, another good Gojira, one, and that's oh, a yeah. band that sounds amazing every single time, and the bass is super clear. Gojira's um, great, yeah. We're going to be playing with them in England at the Bloodstock Festival. With Gojira? With Gojira, yeah. Oh, they're, nice. they're headlining, too, so I can get done with my show and then watch those guys. That's cool. You know, Actually, we, we hung out with them. They played after the, the day after Meshuga, so we're hanging out with those guys after, and um, I wasn't there with Gojira, but mm. a couple of, of, of the guys from here were, and then... Yeah, apparently, like the, the, they're good buddies now. Yeah, they're yeah, they're an amazing band. Yeah, killer band and another great pick player. Yeah, you know who? I mean, yeah, I'm I'm glad that the pick versus fingers thing is kind of going away because who cares? And it doesn't make these guys, you know, you know, Jason Newstead, David Ellison, D.D. Verney, all these guys are great bass players. They're playing with pick. Yeah. So what? You know, it sounds great. They're yeah. great I mean, musicians. Good, so. A good musician will will play well no matter what like yeah. what they use. Uh, would you be okay if if you move to the? Uh, we did a little Q and A on Instagram. Uh, Absolutely. We don't have time to go. It was like eighty questions or something. And sure. some of them were quite silly actually. So I had to mm-hmm. filter filter out. I'm sure we're probably touched on some of the subjects. But can you pass me the laptop, please? I'm not gonna say these handles here because some of these guys have the dirtiest handles ever. So yeah, yeah. We'll just put them in text in the video. But I'm, I'm not okay. gonna say these words. All right. Um, <laughs> well, you, you just saw the first handle, that was... Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, what is your live rig setup here currently? Oh, okay, current live rig setup. I'll just go through the one on this tour. Um, well, starting with the bass, I play my um, signature Spectre basses, five string. Mm-hmm. Um, got my Duncan signature pickups in those. Um, the, the preamp is the tone capsule, dark, oh. the dark glass tone capsule in both of my basses that I use on stage. Um, and from there I go into a radial bass bone overdrive one, but I don't use the overdrive. I'm basically using that to, um, level out the two different bases that I play um, during so you the have night. The, you have the different volume controls yeah, for each bass. Yeah, the one bass, they're, they're both the same. They should be the same, but I think the tuning or something makes the, um, the one at the higher tuning a little louder. So I level oh, really? that off there so that they don't. Yeah, I can't. I've never been able to figure it out why, but the uh, the so higher the, the, the tune ones. The pickup height is the same, also. Yeah, yeah. Every okay. we tried to keep everything equal, and it's still a little louder. So it could just be maybe the particular piece of wood they used for that bass oh, or yeah, something. Who who knows what? But um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of black magic that goes into really instruments. There really is. Yeah. So so yeah, I like. I've always liked that to be able to level two basses. Um, it's it's just a good command center for for bass guitar. So from there. It goes into a um, Seymour Duncan um, studio bass compressor, and then from there into the B7K. Um, and I have a tuner as well. From the B7K up into an Aguilar um, DB750. And then that's also, I have an Aguilar 810 cabinet, oh. and that's my stage volume. So mm-hmm. anything that you're hearing, if you're right in front of me, is coming out of the Aguilar mm-hmm. from that signal chain I just described. Um, the two signals we send to the PA is one from the B7K mm-hmm. and one from the radial, which is un- unaffected. Okay. So our sound man's able to blend those two so things. So yeah, the, the, like yeah. pretty, pretty standard studio setup where you have your clean DI and then some dirt. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, the, you know, he doesn't want to have to put all the low end on the dirty channel. He can put it all on that one really yeah. clean tone and then have the dirty channel have more teeth to it and more of the higher mids and high end. And stuff. Makes makes perfect sense. Yeah. Then uh, next question, actually quite related to this. Uh, are your pickups passive or active? They're active. Yeah, active, active, okay. active um, Seymour Duncan pickups. Mm-hmm. Running, 
I run the whole system 18 volt. Yeah. So yeah, so, a lot of headroom. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, that's at the tone capsule set up 18 volts. So I, I would assume that that would be, you know, yeah, the Duncans are, are active. It's not, um, not really so different from the previous setup I had, but these are tweaked to exactly what I like. Perfect. The signature pickups I had. Can, can people buy those separately, or, or do they only come with the with the Spectre? No, you can the, get them separately awesome. from from Duncan. And in fact, I don't think Spectre has. I mean, this is so new; they just came out last year. I don't think Spectre's got them into the. Um, it's not a spec in, on the on, on the. It's not a spec version. on my um, thing yet. Yeah, Duncan and Spectre have yet to coordinate that. Okay. So hopefully, soon. Well, hopefully they'll figure out soon. Yeah. Um, okay next question what is your biggest influence uh, for playing bass guitar I'm reading literally so if the mm. syntax is a bit weird it's, it's not sure <laughs> um, I mean well, there's a bunch it's, it's, it really is hard to narrow it down to one well, you, mean, you, you mentioned quite a, quite a few yeah, of them already, yeah so. Cliff Burton Steve Harris Getty Lee for sure mm. even though that's you know, a bit out of the, outside the metal genre, but still Getty Lee is a big influence tone wise, playing wise, the, the odd meter stuff. Um, but uh, actually that's yeah. something very interesting because um, every time I meet sort of like people who, who've maybe helped build a style or have been kind of like at the forefront mm. of, of, of a particular style, usually their influences are not what you would expect. It, it, yeah. It's strange. Like, um, like if you ask Dick Lee, for example, who are his very favorite musicians, he probably wouldn't name any band that's similar to Russian necessarily, or any like he might name you know jazz musicians or, yep. or something else. So, well, yeah, and you know what? On that note too, I guess I, I should mention that a lot of the stuff I practiced, a lot of the you know practice material that you buy as a bass player is jazz oriented or maybe mm -hmm. funk or whatever. So I really I have tried learning like um like Steve Bailey, Victor Wooten, their mm -hmm. Bass Extremes book. I worked through a lot of that. That's oh. awesome material that came out in the early nineties. That was mind-blowing, too. Yeah. Bass Extreme, the, yeah. the Chick from Korea song. Yeah, that's an awesome song. Yeah, yeah really, really fun. I, I never played it start to finish, but I learned a bunch of the little parts. It's so cool. It's and um, Yeah, so a lot of that stuff probably had an impact how I play on how I play, even though it's not, you know, not at all like Cannibal Corpse's music. Um, for sure, learning, trying to learn like the finger funk style. I figured this could apply to metal somehow, learning how to play really complex 16th note patterns. Mm -hmm. So I um, tried learning, you know, some Jocko stuff, Rocco Prestia kind oh, of things, sure. you know, the, all that finger funk kind of stuff. Um, I would get books that had and, and, you know, watch videos that kind of explained that. And, and yeah, tapping, things like that. There was a, a Beaver Felton video that I worked through, oh, Super wow. Chops for Bass. That was a really good video back in the day. So Beaver Felton is, is OG. Yeah, <laughs> OG yeah really, and it's really great instructional material too. Like he went through all the, the kind of te techniques that were really cutting edge in the late 80s, early 90s. And that, that helped me a lot to get my, you know, feet wet in some of these different um, techniques that, you don't learn that from a basic teacher most of the time. They're not going to teach you double thumping, at least not in sure. the late '80s. That was pretty uncommon. So, so yeah, there's a bunch of influences. I can't I can't narrow it down to one, mm -hmm. but um, for sure, yeah, like you know, Cliff Burton, Steve Harris, those are really big ones. Awesome. Um, any favorite baseline of all time? Is there anything that stands out? Um, from other bands, you mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or if it's. If it's from you, then what? no, no. I mean, like, yeah, like some people ask, "What's the favorite one that you've ever done, or whatever?" Oh, but, yeah. um, but for um, for other ones, again, it's oh, it's hard to say. I really like um, what Gaddy Lee does in Free Will. All that that cool breakdown part. It's one of the the coolest sounding bass things. And um, of course, Anesthesia by Cliff Burton. Yeah, that's one of the, so my favorites. And um, I love the song "Lost for Words" by Iron Maiden. Just yeah. it's just here. I mean, I love both singers. You know, or actually. I mean, but it's for sure um, just great to hear that band just just kicking ass just, you know, instrumentally. I mean, they've done that on a couple songs, but that song in particular, I've always really loved that bass part, you know, just chugging along on that triplet feel. So. Wonderful. Um, any new Conquering Dystopia in the works? Yes. Yeah, awesome. that's, that's going to be up and running. And so keep an eye out in 2019. Yes. Um, I'm very excited about that, actually. It's one of my personal favorites. Um, so, yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome news. Um, do you remember what was the first line, uh, bass line you learned? 
Uh, boy, I think like Rock You Like a Hurricane by Scorpions. Oh. And I'm not even sure, even <laughs> as, as relatively straightforward as that is, I probably didn't even learn that right. So. <laughs> okay. Um, any advice to maintain stamina while playing fast? Um, you know, I think I, think I kind of covered this a little bit earlier, but yeah. you, you probably don't need to play as hard as you think to get a good tone. More efficiency, so, I guess. Yeah, relax and try and be efficient. And remember that, you know, the movement is really, like, don't, like, uh, you know, lean into it too much. You can get a lot of speed without losing your relaxation. And, in fact, relaxation is probably a key part of it. You know, stay relaxed. And um, and, and, and that's a contrary thing, especially when you're playing something fast or, or difficult. The instinct is to kind of tense up. Yeah, uh, but that that always ends up hurting your your stamina and your precision in yep. a way. So yep. um, yeah, if do, staying do, relaxed is huge. Yeah. Do you have any 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 just to elaborate more on this question? Do you have any? Is there anything in particular that you do to sort of reinforce that relaxed state while playing difficult things, or um, it just comes with practice? I, you know, if I yeah, just kind of try and watch out for key signs that I might be like, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you cut yourself really like gritting your teeth and like stuff like that like or you might feel a little tension in your shoulder or neck it's like well those aren't really the muscles that are supposed to be playing it's supposed to be kind of you know coming from a relaxed hand movement so sure. see if you try and make sure you're keeping it to a nice relaxed hand mm-hmm. position if you feel things starting to tense up then back it off a little you know perfect uh, that's actually very useful um well actually This, this question is a bit redundant. I'm going to ask it anyways, mm-hmm. um, but we covered it. Any recommendations, to, any recommendations to strengthen the right hand? But you've already kind of said that um, you're, you're actually giving almost the opposite advice. It's like, don't focus so much on hitting. And, but actually, yeah. you have changed this recently because I remember first time I saw you sort of playing like, yes, one-on-one was, or not first time, but was at NAMM show maybe five, six years ago. And I remember being very impressed because NAMM is super loud. Like yeah. loud all the time. I remember that you grabbed the bass and started playing before we plugged it in, and yeah. I could hear you playing. So yeah. five, six years ago, you were. Uh, it was you and Brian Beller, yeah. who, who played. Like Brian came maybe before, like an hour after you, and he was like, "How are you hitting this hard?" Like, and yeah, Brian digs in really oh, hard man, too. Yeah, he's, he's, also- he's killer. Yeah, um, you know what? I think, like I said, the strength thing. In, in hindsight, it's probably. Not, like not as important as I had even thought. Like the tone you're getting can be just as good backing it off just a little bit and then you can have speed for a lot longer. Yeah. It's like, I mean, running a sprint versus running a marathon sure. or something. If you're sprinting, how long can you go? And the sprint is that full output, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's great for a short period of time. But if you want to be playing fast all night, it would make sense to find that, That pace. pace. Yeah, the pace exactly. that you can sustain. Which yeah. is it's same for running. We were talking earlier about yeah. that you're really into running and sort of doing this more yeah. endurance stuff. Yeah. That, that's so. key is finding like the pace that you can maintain, you know. Yep. A comfortable pace that still has strong attack. You can have strong attack without it being the hardest attack that you're capable of. Sure. Okay. That's, you know? that's a good clarification. Um, last question. Uh, sure. Any guilty pleasure pop song? Um, oh boy, probably. Out of all the best players that, that I'll ever interview, I think this, this is the one that's... <laughs> it's a tough one. I mean, yeah, it, anything would be guilty and that would be guilty enough to feel guilty about it would be one that you wouldn't want to talk about, like something real, some real bubblegum stuff. Um, you know, there's stuff that I any, don't... Any Katy Perry or, or something like that? No, no? you know, <laughs> I don't really... I don't listen to the radio unless I, uh, we talked about before the interview, like if you're in McDonald's and you're stuck hearing yeah. something. So I can't really think of, of anything offhand like a hit. Um, every now and then I'll hear a song, like some pop song, where I'm surprised that its chord arrangement goes in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's kind of cool. That doesn't necessarily mean I like the song, but I'm sure. happy to hear that there's some good musicians out there working on these songs, even oh, though yeah. it's not my cup of tea by any means. But um, yeah, I can't really think of anything. I do. I listen to some different stuff. Probably like back in the '90s, I remember I really liked that the the really popular No Doubt album, Tragic Kingdom. Oh yeah, okay. I thought there was a bunch of good stuff on there, and that's not pop, really. I yeah. mean, it's it's pop rock 
whatever. I'm we not sure what kind of genre that yeah, is, but um, I'm sort of classifying things like genre is also weird for me. Like hmm. metal guys, you guys do this all the time. It's like prog math metal is like you end up yeah. like with these like six word definitions. Yeah, so many modifiers. It's fucking yeah. metal, man. Like yes, yeah. for me, metal can be you know anywhere from Metallica to Meshuga, completely different tool, like everything in between. Yeah. It's all rock and roll at the end for me. So yeah, don't don't get people get silly with these definitions sometimes. And, yeah, uh, and they argue about whether a band is should be considered. It doesn't make sense, I think. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, that album was good though. That that's got really good bass playing okay. on it, and it's definitely uh, not like what we're doing. So I would consider no doubt a very satisfactory answer. Satisfactory answer. Cool. So, You you aced it. Cool, very good. <laughs> okay, well, I think uh, this is it for today. You have to sound check in around 20 minutes, so yep. so perfect timing. It's good. Uh, One thing too, this okay. this actually popped into my head right after I answered the question. But I when I answered talking about Iron Maiden and how I like the instrumental, I said, oh, I like both singers. I did not mean to displace Bailey. He's a good singer too. Okay. There was three singers, so I didn't forget Blaze. You know, perfect. I didn't listen to those <laughs> albums as much, but I don't want to omit him from my answer that's not cool so he was he did a lot of good work with them as well so fair enough that's <laughs> <laughs> not awesome. leaving anybody out bass players get left out enough so i don't want to leave yeah out that's singer. true man. that's true yeah. well for uh for playing an instrument that usually gets left out i think you you get your your fair amount of dues and deservedly mm -hmm. so so thank you very much for being here it's a true pleasure always i always love talking to you on camera off camera it's always Nice and uh, yeah, thank you much. Thank Hello. you very much for coming and yeah, likewise, it's always a pleasure and thank you so much for having me. This is great. Yeah, I, I can't wait to, to see you guys. You know, yeah, it's gonna be a hot tonight. One. Yeah, it's yep. super hot. The heat followed it's, us. It's Finland, but it's <laughs> super super hot. Well, what's the temperature in Fahrenheit right now? It's like 30 Celsius. Um, in Fahrenheit, it is 80. So this is the coolest day. Yeah. The hottest day for us was way up north in Olu, mm -hmm. and that was 91 during the day, That's which to, keep, to put this in perspective, why we're so surprised by that, Olu is farther north than Fairbanks, Alaska. So that should help, you know, yeah. put it in perspective for some of the people in North America, you know, what just where this yeah. is. It's like Arctic yeah. Circle basically. And, and it's, yeah, it was close. It's we would have, if we drove, drove a couple more hours, we would have been in the Arctic Circle. Yeah, so 91 degrees up there. Hot as fuck. Cool yep. enough, but <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> Global warming is true, people. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a myth. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Okay, well, Alex, thank you very much again. Thanks uh, again. Yeah, hope to see you soon. We'll, we'll, we'll hang out tonight for sure, but uh, thank you very much for doing this, and thank you everyone for the, for the questions, even yeah. the silly ones. Uh, yeah. yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you.